So I want to start by talking about a word that is used completely differently now than when I was a young person. And the word is geek. When I was a young person, if you called someone a geek, it was kind of a, it was a hurtful word. It was used so that you could talk to somebody who was kind of outside of the cool group, maybe somebody who was a bit nerdy, and you say, you're a geek, it'll be hurtful. What I've noticed now is that it is used in completely op the opposite context. Now people call themselves geeks. And it, all that geek means now is somebody who is really knowledgeable on a subject and really passionate. This even happened today. We were in um, our morning Pathfinders, and I talked to Andy, our wonderful bass player, and we were talking about movies, and I said, oh, I've not seen Iron Man 3 yet. And he said, uh, everyone seems to like it, but not me. I know the comic books. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay. I was like, I'm going to make fun of you later tonight at the 630 service. And he said, please don't. And I said, I said it's going to be about how you're geeking out about, you know, comic books. He said, oh, that's fine. Make fun of that. That's fine. I am. He goes, he said, I am a comic book geek. And so you can geek out about anything now. You can be a beer geek, a movie geek, a book geek, a sci-fi geek. And you actually people apply these terms to themselves. And anytime you love these things and you have all the information about them and you are passionately going on about it, you are geeking out. Why does this matter? Because Paul is absolutely geeking out in Ephesians. He is starting out Ephesians, and he is passionate about Jesus, and he knows a lot about Jesus, and he is going on about it. He is like, Ephesians, I want to tell you about Jesus, and I don't care what you know or don't know, I'm going to tell you everything. Paul literally, in the first, from verse 3 to 14, if you read it in his original language, he writes the whole thing as one sentence. He is so passionate, it feels like praise kind of coming out, an exuberance, full punch, excited talk about Jesus. He's like, Ephesians, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. That is how Paul is writing. And I know that we can read it in our nice Anglican way, with our pauses in the right areas, and we've got our numbers in there now. But to the Ephesian church, this would have been absolute passion. This is passion for Jesus. That is how Paul starts out this passage. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see how he is passionate about this. And I want us to unlock why Paul would be so passionate about this. I want us to see what it is about Jesus that is so wonderful that he can't help but express it in writing. So even as we start out in verse 3, we see him starting out by talking about praise. And he's praising God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, heaven, in every heavenly realm. And in his exuberance, he starts by laying out the main characters. He says, we have got God who is in heaven. And he's the Father. And he's the Father of Jesus. And we are going to see these two players come in over and over again. God who is in heaven, who has a master plan, and Jesus who works out that plan on earth. And they are working together, these two, God and Jesus, for one goal, and it is to bless us. To bless us with every spiritual blessing. And this, I've thought about this some, and I've thought, what is every spiritual blessing in Christ? In the heavenly realm? Well, I think we can think of blessing today like a nice meal can be a blessing. Oh, thank you for cooking that for me. That's quite a blessing. It's just a nice thing. 
Or a blessing can be, oh, I was blessed with some money. You know, it can be a gift. It can be something, we talk about blessings as if they're tokens of kindness or a gesture. But what Paul is talking about here is something much bigger. He's talking about the ultimate gift. He's saying God and Jesus are the main players, and they are working for the ultimate gift in heaven, and it is God himself. There is a gift, and it is being put out there, God himself. That is the blessing. So when we read this, and as we go through this, this whole number of scriptures, this whole verses, are pointing towards that, towards relationship with God. And when we understand that blessing means relationship with God, these verses will be unlocked for us. So we've got God, we've got Jesus, and we've got us. Okay? So that's the setup. That's Paul setting up the stage for what he's going to talk about. And the way he does it, the way he unlocks this, is by talking about the past, the present, and the future. He's going to say God's plan of relationship is before, during, and after. Past, present, and future. And that's what we want to look at. So let's start by looking at the past. And we've got verses 4 to 6 in your Bible. You've got it open. Paul goes right in, and he starts saying, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. I have to admit that this is one of those verses that I've read over a million times. Well, maybe not a million times. Maybe a hundred times. And I've read over it, and it's just kind of passed me by. But if you really think about this, if you stop to think that before God spoke the world into existence, before the cosmos came about, he was there with a plan. God had his blueprints out, and he knew exactly where he was going. Before the earth was even formed, before there was matter, God knew about us. God had a plan for humanity. There was always a plan for humanity before anything came about, way back in history. To me, this is the greatest love story. To find out that there was love before creation, before we were known, there was love. That is powerful. And there was always this plan. And it was always going to be through Jesus. So I think sometimes what we can conceive or think of is that God created a wonderful world. He created Eden, and it was perfect, and it was great. And then the snake came in, and we ate this apple, and we messed it up. So God had to come up with a plan B. That is not true to Scripture. Jesus was not the plan B. Before the world ever came into existence, it was always about Jesus. Before the world ever came into existence, it was always about relationship with God. There is no plan B. We are living in God's plan A. And if you see this language, he said, what is the goal? What is the blessing? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption and sonship. The goal was holiness and to be holy and blameless. That is the blessing that God is going to work out. So we think of this blueprint and we say, and he says, this is my plan. I'm going to create this world and I'm going to have a people and they are going to be holy and blameless. And even more than that, they're going to be adopted into sonship. 
They're going to be part of my family. That is the goal that I'm working towards. To be part of God's family. Now there's this tricky word there, predestination. And I, I know you would all love for me to go through 10 or 15 points on predestination and what that means. And I think there is a time and place for that. But tonight I want us to look back farther than just does God know who is or who's not and look at the bigger picture here. And it is God's plan. He had predestined. He had an idea. He had a plan. It was always going to work. Before everything, he was moving towards this plan. So we have God in heaven with an ultimate plan. And as we go through into verses 7 and 8, we see that this plan now gets set into action. From all the way back, God has a plan. And when Mary became pregnant with Jesus, God in flesh, the plan came into action. The wheels started moving. The time was right for it to happen. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So let's look a little bit about what this is. What is the plan that Paul is talking about, that he's so excited about? Well, the plan is relationship enacted. And in order for this relationship to happen again, it has to be about redemption. And we think of redemption, it can be kind of a nebulous word. But we think closer to the idea of maybe ransom makes sense. Where somebody is in a place they shouldn't be, and a price is paid to get them back to the place they should be in. That's redemption, what it is. It's a ransom is being paid. And so we have in us this created world, but we are in a place that we're not supposed to be in. So God sends Jesus down with a plan of redemption, with a plan of ransom. And though we talk about it at Easter, it is right for us to talk about it again because Paul says it's all through his blood. In Jesus' blood is the life source. And he came down and he paid a real price. He was innocent. He was God. He was loving. He was a part of a plan of love. And our sin went on to him. All the dark things of this world went on to him, and he paid a real price of death. But then he rose again, and in that raising, he defeated the power of sin. He defeated the darkness. And because of this, we can stand forgiven. This is the plan that you see earlier, that we are forgiven of our sins, blameless and forgiven. And when we are forgiven, when the world is forgiven of their sins, when we know Jesus, then the next step is amazing, that we are then blameless and holy. We are no longer far away from God, but we can come close to God. And when we are blameless and holy, we are accepted in to adoption, sonship in God. We are now part of God's family. This is the present reality that both Paul and us as well operate under. We are no longer far from God. It is no longer just a plan out there somewhere. But the blood of Jesus, the price, works for us today. 
It forgives us so that we can enter into real family with God. Sonship. I love this word adoption as well. To think that we are adopted into sonship through Jesus, through this ransom. That we're no longer fatherless. That we're no longer on our own. That we're no longer wandering about without a covering or someone to take care of us. But no, because of God's wonderful grace, we are redeemed through his blood. This is our present reality. We look at verse 9 through 10. And he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What this means is that our relationship is not at its final end. We are at phase two of a three-step process. There is more to come. There is more to come. I don't know about you, but I know for me, we can think so often that this is it. Where we are with God now is it. But we have to know that there is more to come. We are only in step two of that three-step process. So what is to come? Well, in a time that only God knows in his plan, the curtain that separates heaven and earth will be removed. And there will be a time when we no longer need faith because we will see face to face who God is. We will know who he is. We will know the full effects of Jesus. We will sing worthy is the lamb that was slain. And we won't do it just on our time frame. We'll do it with the multitudes before and after us. Into eternity, there's a place for us to be in real relationship. This is a place of unity. Not just between heaven and earth. We're talking about between us and our creator. Between us and God, we are unified together. This is the plan of deepening relationship. It goes deeper. It goes deeper through eternity. So we have this wonderful plan that Paul is writing about. Paul is excited about Jesus because Paul can see it laid out before him. This God who had a plan before the world, but actually stepped down. And talk is cheap, but not Jesus. He actually did what he said he was going to do. And he brought us back. And he can see it going forward. He can see that there is a plan beyond this world, beyond the pain and suffering of things like Nepal. There is relationship going forward. One where there is even healing for the difficult things of this world. And Paul sees it laid out. And maybe for us, it's hard for us to see how this could actually impact us. How in our minds can we comprehend love before foundations of earth, love before creation? How can we think about eternity? How can we even begin to comprehend these huge topics? How can we kind of geek out like Paul about Jesus when these concepts are so big, they're hard to grasp and to see? Well, if you'll allow me, I think there's kind of a way that we can look at this that's, in a sense, fairly simple, but I think it will help us. 
I was thinking back to when I first had a crush on my current wife, Pippa. Current, like there's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> my only wife, Pippa. <laughs> Bad choice of words. We'll edit that out later, I believe. <laughs> when I had a crush on my wife, Pippa. But she wasn't my wife at that time. And I remember being really excited because thinking about Pippa, I kept thinking, who is she? Could I like her? Is she the right person for me? And you almost kind of go through this thing of emotions and feelings and weighing it all up and thinking, what is she about? Who is she? And in a sense, if we do the same thing here, if we take ourselves out just for a moment of the equation with Jesus and we just assess who he is and what he's done before we risk our hearts or think about him or engage with these topics, let's just think real quick about what he's done. This is about real relationship. What has he really done for us? Well, the first thing is that he chose us. While we were still uncreated or even still in our sin, he came down and he did all the work and he said, I want you. This is God who is perfect, not someone who is flawed or creepy. This is God. When he chooses, it is good. And he looked at humanity and he said, you are significant. You are worth a plan. You are worth creation. You are worth my time and energy. It's about you. He chose us. Okay, I like that. But then he did more than just talk. It was more about than bravado. He came in and he paid a real price. He put his actions where his mouth was. With Jesus, we have the ultimate show of love. To take on our sins, to be perfect and to take it on and die. That's stunning. Who would die for us? Who would die so that we can be clean and whole? Since we could say it this way, Jesus, he won us. chose us and he won us but he did more than that because now he made a plan he made a plan for us to be in ever deepening relationship with him forever he is committed to us he is committed beyond just the time that we have on earth he is committed beyond just the church services and the emotions and the prayer and the communion services. He's committed to unite his home with ours into eternity. Without any breaking, he's committed to us. So if we look at just the work of God, if we look at just the work of Jesus, we can see that this is the ultimate love story to people that are undeserving of it. To be chosen, to be one, to be committed, when we see this, when we can understand what this is like, then we have to ask, what is our response? What is our response to a Jesus, to God who has done all of this? What do we do? I think it's as simple as this. It's as simple as responding and saying, Jesus, I am all in. 
I am all in. I've seen what you've done. I've seen who you are. I've seen your plan. And I respond by saying I am yours. I choose you back. My life is yours. What I do is yours. My time, my resources, my money, my goals, they are yours. My life is yours. I want to respond with everything. I want to worship you with my life because you have done for me what nobody else can do. You have loved me completely and utterly. I don't want this to just be about religion, about just showing up and ticking boxes. I want this to be about me knowing you, me being with you. I trust you. I trust you. This is the response. And when we enter in and we say, I'm all in, the response is a bit of geeking out where we can say, I've seen Jesus and I've said I'm all in and my life, it's in him. I've got a purpose and a plan. It is Jesus. Why am I here? I'm here to lift up Jesus. I'm here to serve Jesus. I'm not holding anything back. I've never been loved like this. Why would I hold it back? 